Hi, um, I just got a question. We're talking about having a uh, one cent sales tax, and uh, Ernest Calderon and a couple other people before have talked about this. It's going to raise presumably about a billion dollars, which is only about a third of the deficit that's proposed. What kind of measures were taken or discussions took place in not trying to fix, like you alluded to, the three legged stool, wherein we don't have, unfortunately, high enough property taxes to keep the state well funded in all the areas that we Ask the state That's an excellent question. Um, and spend kind of two answers I want to give there. One, um, sometimes in the political world, doing what might be the best thing to do is not always doing what's doable. And I'll tell you, uh, there was extensive analysis done last year of what voters of Arizona would be willing to accept in regards to increased revenues. Um, if my memory is accurate, which it may not be, but the best of my recollection is uh, property tax was on the very bottom of that. You had uh, in the neighborhood of a 10% or less support from the people of the state to change their property taxes. Um, income taxes were in the range, if I recall, somewhere between the mid-30s and the mid-40s uh, for support. The, the sales tax consistently has had in the neighborhood of 60% support. Um, last year, uh, both Republicans, the majority of both Republicans and Democrats and Independents believe that that was the measure that, that they would be willing to support for uh, this temporary bridge. And I'll tell you the temporary part of that was an important component to a lot of the people that were, were asked in these polls um, whether or not they'd be willing to support it. So that is, 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 is how we concluded that this would be what we needed at least at this point in time for uh, the temporary bridge. It also became the most acceptable for the legislature to refer. Um, you know, we, we get questions from all sides on this stuff. You have people that say, well, you just need to solve this problem. You have to cut your way out of this. You've got to do the whole thing with cuts. We also have people that said, you have got to do this whole thing with uh, tax increases. We cannot uh, cut any of these programs. And quite honestly, uh, neither of those options is viable. Uh, we're collecting as a state right now about $6.1 to $6.3 billion on the estimates for next year. If we were to raise the revenue to be at the $9 billion spending level, you would have to increase all of the taxes that are collected by the state by 50% on everybody. That would be a huge burden on a lot of people and probably not a very viable option. But I believe you would have the support of the legislature or the vote of the people of the state to pass that. You would probably end up losing the entire package. At the same time, as we believe, we cannot cut our way entirely out of this. So what's been crafted and I'll say it's been a difficult process, and people don't want to, you know, some decisions have been made, quite frankly, just you never would have thought whatever had to been made. Um, I've heard the governor say that six months ago, she would have said, uh, this would never happen on my watch. But when you look at the size of the problem, we had to come up with a balanced approach of revenue, cuts, and there are still some one-time proposals in the budget that just passed. Uh, one of those uh, is to look at recapturing the money that's sitting in the accounts on land, uh, the, um, I can't think of the name of the fund right now, but it's the fund that's used for um, uh, for land acquisition, for conservation. Uh, that has a significant balance in it. Uh, they're talking about you know taking those monies on a one-time basis. They're talking about recapturing the first things first dollars. Uh, our proposal from the governor's office was to work out a loan with first things first uh, for there, but the legislature chose to go another direction and they chose to uh, refer to the ballot. 
that you'll be voting on that in November, whether or not you want to re-divert those tobacco tax dollars to the children's programs in the general fund, or if you want to keep first things first as it is. So the, the budget as adopted has over a billion dollars of cuts, the billion dollars essentially of revenue, and then the compilation of about a billion dollars of one-time uh, things to, to bridge this gap. There may be some federal stimulus money for us as well. Those dollars and those decisions by the Congress have not been finalized yet, and they weren't finalized at the time the budget passes. So we will have some flexibility. Uh, there, you know, my understanding is there could be some stuff around healthcare that we may have some flexibility on regarding some federal reimbursement that may help us prevent some of the cuts that have been enacted. But those things, once again, aren't finalized at this point in time, and I don't know what will happen. But that, the effort was to try and do something that balanced the, the outcome. Hi, Mr. B. Um, thank you, Alec. I'm a reporter from the Daily Star. So I was just hoping that you could tell us a little bit about um, who is looking at a long-term restructuring of the budget or, or long-term problems. You said, you know, since 2008, we've been doing these one-time fixes. Um, so I was just wondering who's working on it, and or or is it is our solution right now just to kind of hang on until there's a recovery? Thanks. Uh, I would say. Um, there are a lot of people working on it right now. The governor has appointed uh, a number of individuals to help us with this problem, and uh, we've, we've got a commission on looking at privatization. We've got a commission that's a group of uh, business leaders that's formed to do an analysis of, of the past decisions of the state that have been made, where they have taken us, and where we need to go. Um, we're expecting reports back on those things. I think we really see. Uh, this time not only as, as a bridge to the reco recovery of the economy, but also of laying out a plan for where Arizona goes in the next century. And the governor's talked about that, and I believe uh, that as we an analyze the work of these groups, that we're going to start to use some of the input from those decisions to start to lay forward a blueprint of where we need to go um, long term. So you have a more uh, stable revenue source, you have a more diverse economy that's not just dependent on one or two sectors, so we have these massive fluctuations in revenue. Um, that's a really important point for us. Uh, the governor's working very hard uh, to, to bring in that diversity of jobs into our state they stay long term, and, and we can rely on the different uh, different sectors so you don't have this type of fluctuation. And those are all important components, and I think we'll see more of that rolled out as, as this analysis is done. But the urgency of, of the problem for this year was balancing the current uh, solving the cash flow crisis at the same time as you have to provide a balanced budget, and we need some short-term measures to provide stabilization. Sure, I appreciate you coming. Um, there seems to be a significant portion of legislatures who hold the idea that uh, higher education is becoming a private good rather than a public good. And I wondered what your thoughts and what Governor Brewer's thoughts is on, uh, on the private good versus public good of higher education. You know, that's been an ongoing battle over the years at the legislature. Um, uh, you know, I, the governor absolutely 100% believes that education is the seed corn for our future. And that goes all the way from K-12 to university. So I've had some people say, well, Tim, she said seed corn, what does that mean? And I think, well, that's an old agriculture term. And so to, to describe that a little bit is when farmers in the past would plant their crops, they would save back a portion of their corn or the harvest of that for the next year so they could plant again. Well, if you don't 
protect that seed corn, if you consume all of the resolve, but then you have nothing to plant in the prior uh, or in the next year. And you basically eat or consume your future. And so what the governor means when she says that is that she firmly believes absolutely that education, all the way to K-12 universities, is that seed corn that we have to protect, that we have to maintain for the future. And, and she very strongly believes that. And, and uh, looking at what she's been able to do, even with this downturn, you'll see that the vast priority of her administration has been to do what she can to minimize the reductions in these areas. Um, you know, a lot of people think that that should mean there were no cuts. Well, I think you know, it's unrealistic for us to realize that there would not be cuts in virtually every part of the budget. But by percentage, those areas that have been highly protected. And, and the governor has put her name out there on the line to run this uh, sales tax initiative to continue to protect these areas. Um, so that's where her priority lies. Uh, personally, and I can speak more to that because it's me, um, you know, I've worked on uh, higher education issues for a long time. I believe uh, that the future of our nation is, is critical, that we have a higher education system that prepares the brightest and the best around the world. Our ability to compete internationally depends upon our ability to produce the, the best technologies, our ability to uh, defend our nation depends upon our ability to produce uh, the best technologies, and it's critical that we uh, do everything we can to improve the higher education system uh, and opportunities for young people in our nation. And um, I believe, and I'm very proud of our university systems here in Arizona, that they have worked very hard uh, to accept the fact that there have been are difficult times and looking at how they can realign the missions and still provide the outcome for our students that we need to have, which is uh, predictability for the students as far as what they're going to pay, that we're maximizing access to universities, and uh, that they're really working to provide the programs that we need for the future. And, and I would just say, you know, as, as citizens, 
we have the uh, obligation and the right to participate in elections, and we should should make note of people who agree with us on those ideas and not, and then you know vote accordingly uh, at, at the time of the year when we get to have those elections. Um, that's probably the best way you can you can turn that around. Also, you know, communicate with your lawmakers. Uh, you know, when I was there, if you got six calls on an issue, it was a hot issue because people generally don't take the time to voice their opinion. And so, if you feel strongly about something, even if you have an opinion on it, I would not hesitate to pick up the phone and call their offices and let them know uh, how you would like them to vote or what your opinion is on an issue. I think it's very important. Um, in my experience, phone calling is the best. Um, emails uh, work, but they get a, such a huge volume of them, it is very difficult for them to respond to all of them. You literally can have hundreds a day uh, come in that are, that are very hard to get back to every single person. There's just enough time in the day. And if you send canned emails, I'll tell you, uh, you know, you call people back, you send those canned emails in, and they don't know what they're talking about, and they pretty quickly lose credibility. So it's important uh, that you personalize the emails if you can, and I would say target them to single lawmakers at a time, because uh, if you send them to the whole legislature all at once, they think, well, Senator Summons will handle this one. Uh, it's important to put down your address at the bottom, too, so that they know uh, where you live. And uh, for me, if I got someone who wrote me from anywhere in Southern Arizona, those receive priority uh, over those that may have been from Australia or, or New Zealand or somewhere, which we would get. Mr. B. Um, I wanted to follow up on a question that Becky asked on uh, whether or not the governor is taking a lead in reforming the structural deficits that we find ourselves in. Um, you mentioned the sort of uh, privatization, and I uh, want to, you to expand upon that because um, I feel our universities are going down the road of the sort of private public universities. Obviously, you said the governor is really supportive of our public education system in Arizona, including the universities, and I agree with that. Um, she has been a strong advocate for us. Um, but the students are more and uh, more taking on a share of the uh, responsibility of funding the universities. We just saw tuition increase um, in, at unprecedented, unprecedented levels. Um, it's been a con continuous stream since 2002 when we saw the largest increase in Arizona history. Um, so I was wondering if you could expand upon that privatization uh, model that the governor is looking at with her advisors and whether or not that includes the university. Thanks. Okay, a lot of things in that question. I hope I remember them all from the, from the first part of that. Um, you know, the, as far as the structural deficit goes, the governor laid out a plan last March, which she still firmly believes in that we have to reform uh, government in a number of areas. Uh, she laid out five points. One, uh, she believes we need to fix the rainy day fund. Um, the fact that we were only having $700 million in there and uh, the state spent that when it really wasn't raining, it might have been sprinkling a little bit, but it wasn't raining yet. She believes we can have greater uh, restraints on when those dollars are pulled out, and she also believes that the size of that fund needs to be expanded so that we actually have more saved up for the rainy day. Um, that's an important component to solving the, the ongoing fluctuation of revenues and, and being able to address structural deficits. Um, another component of that is she believes we need to address Proposition 105, the Voter Protection Act, so that we have uh, either, you know, a couple different ways you could approach it, and she hasn't prescribed a certain way to approach it, but either we need to have more flexibility in making budget decisions, or 
perhaps those ballot majors that were passed without funding should be referred back to the ballot and allow voters to decide if they want to continue those programs or they want to provide the funding for them. And we would be, you know, in my opinion, we would be fine with either option. Um, as, long, as long as you're you're not having those two things push everything else out the government has to do. Uh, if you have the money to pay for them, great. If the voters don't want to pay for them and, and want to adjust how those things are done, then we would abide by that as well. Um, other components of that, um, she talked about ongoing reform to government and the structural cuts that have been made. I think from when she gave her speech last year and, and now, those cuts have had to be much greater than, than we would have ever imagined at that point in time um, because of the continued loss of revenue. And then she talked about the need for the temporary sales tax. And, and those are the essences of, of how to get out of this problem long term is you have to have reforms in all of these areas. Some of those things will be accomplished and have been accomplished already. Others will require voter action to accomplish. Um, you know, the governor's really looking at, you know, how can we provide these core services of government in certain areas while reducing costs so that we can maintain those. And that's really, I believe, the essence of what the privatization effort will do is look at are there ways to look at some of the services provided by government where you can privatize some of those services. And there have been some very efficient ways. Uh, for example, under the uh, foster care system, you have licensing agents that actually uh, are private entities that contract with the state. They provide the oversight of the foster homes. Uh, they provide the licensing services for those families. And they do it at a cost lower than what we would do if we were having to manage that through the Department of Economic Security. Um, DES has oversight over those agencies and licenses them. So there are certain opportunities where privatization can be more localized and more efficient if you have people for example, here in southern Arizona, if we have people that can provide services without them having to come from Phoenix to provide those services, then that's better and more efficient for us. And so the, the COPE Commission, which is looking at the privatization options, is really their job is to kind of go through the agencies and review and see where can we maximize these types of opportunities uh, to save state dollars and still provide the services. In regards to the universities, um, you know, I, I don't know that I can fully answer the whole question there. I don't know that they're involved in the privatization effort. I would say that they're not. Uh, the Constitution of the state of Arizona uh, requires that we have a higher education system that provides uh, education to the citizens of Arizona. And so you have to have a constitutional change if you were to dramatically alter the way those are structured. I, I don't believe that's the desire here. The desire here is to try and, and maintain these systems and ultimately build on them and make them stronger. I'm going to start out the picture here and grab my water. Yeah, go ahead. I'm in Arizona, and I'm just wondering if you talk about the issues around surrounding the property tax. And you mentioned the suspension and then the suspension of the Yeah, absolutely. And I'll do my best. I'm not an expert on property taxes, but I'll tell you the history of what I know about, at least my recent history. Um, uh, my understanding is over time, during the 90s, there were significant reductions made to property taxes paid to the state. Uh, the only one that remained after that time was one called the county equalization rate, or they renamed it later the state equalization rate, or no, the state equalization rate, they renamed it county equalization rate. That was a $250 million collection that provided funding to, or provided funding to K-12. Uh, Governor Plotano, a number of years ago, uh, as part of the budget package, uh, signed a three-year suspension of that tax. 
So for three years, the state, out of the general fund, picked up that cost for education. So there was no impact education, but local property owners felt a, a relief. And I, I don't know what the assessed valuation rate would be. I know on my property it was, and, and my home you knows what it's worth now after the collapse in the market, but uh, on assessed value, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars last year was about 60 bucks. So that was set to expire uh, after three years. The legislature was making an effort to make that reduction, a permanent reduction, which meant that there would be no property tax going to the state. Um, governor did not believe that she could justify uh, making that cut permanent. At the same time, the legislature was not willing to consider other revenue options, and would meant uh, you know you have a very bad revenue situation, and you make a, a cut like that permanent, you're making your revenue situation even worse. And so she vetoed the uh, bill that made that cut permanent, and, and a return this last year, you've already been paying it on your property taxes. Total collection of $250 million versus then you look at nearly $4 billion, what used to be collected by sales tax, you used to collect almost $4 billion with um, income tax. So it's a very small sliver of the pie. And you know, a lot of people say, wait a minute, we pay huge property taxes. Well, those property taxes are collected by your, your local governments, local uh, school districts, your library districts, other, other types of local, local governments. Hi, um, so you talked earlier about Um, do you and or the governor see any other purpose for higher education other than technology and well yeah I was getting you know my that, that really was my answer uh, obviously uh, all of all of what higher education provides to our students is very important and it's not just the technology focus so I, I think we have to make sure that we're up on those things our, if our country lags behind in an area it's in the area of, of science math engineering um, and it's important that we uh, work to make sure that we're on the cutting edge of those things if we're going to maintain our competitiveness. Uh, but obviously the university experience uh, offers far more than those areas, and in many of those areas our nation excels. And so uh, obviously our goal would be to make sure that every student in this country, that, and certainly in the state of Arizona, that, that uh, wants to pursue higher education has that opportunity to do so. And I think we need to encourage our, our young people to, to pursue higher education. Um, not everybody's going to do that, but we need to produce a much larger number of baccalaureates uh, in this state. Uh, we're behind on some of the national averages on that. And so it's really important that uh, we do what we can do to support the system. And, and you know, it really goes back to even in the K-12 system. You have to make sure that our young people are prepared and that they are having the motivation and desire to pursue that higher education. Sometimes it's just a word from a teacher or a parent or a counselor or someone who says to them, I think you'd be great at, and fill in the blank. And it might just be that that, that gives someone the motivation to think, boy, I really could do that. I could really uh, do something really significant uh, if I get my higher education. And so I think, I think that's the component that's really societal and we have to pursue that as much as we can. Uh, obviously Arizona is one of the states that has the largest dropout rates. And that's something else we have to work to adjust. We have to, that's an ongoing battle through the K-12 system. And in our families, uh, families and, and communities are, are uh, the influence they have on young people and the decisions that they make are very important. And so you, as a society, we have to address that issue. And as government, we have to do what we can to provide those opportunities.
thanks for being here. Um, and pardon me for reading my question, but I've been adding to it as I've been talking. Um, the numbers are overwhelming, and the charts seem to be getting scarier as our semester of lectures is going on. Um, and it just seems that there aren't enough of us telling our friends and neighbors, as you recommended, that um, you're, you're given your story about the jogger and so forth. So how do you recommend more intensely informing Arizona's regard Arizonans regarding losing public school arts or sports, child protective services, and so forth? Um, or what activists or programs have you seen from the eye of the governor's office um, being, you know, being proactively successful in the state? Well, one thing, we're doing what we can to go around and, and educate people around the state. That's part of the reason I'm here today, just to make sure I'm able to, to share with you as much as I can about the situation. Um, but really, uh, the effort for Proposition 100 is going to be the effort that we hope will educate people. Um, the governor is really taking leadership of this and has assembled a coalition of, of uh, people around the state, uh, everything from the school board association, school superintendents, uh, the universities are heavily involved, the corrections is involved, virtually everybody uh, that will ultimately be impacted and can go out and tell a story. I know a lot of our the local parent groups within school districts are actively involved in, in education. Some of our, our school boards have uh, outlined uh, what types of decisions will have to be made if this doesn't pass, and they're sharing that with, with parents. And then uh, I, I really see that there'll be a real grassroots effort, primarily in the education community. Um, public safety is a big issue, though, for people as well, uh, particularly among uh, our older population, uh, there was a great amount of concern of what it would mean to the state if we reduce um, or have to release large numbers of, of felons. And, and quite honestly, it just if you logically think about it, releasing large numbers of prisoners to try and uh, reassimilate and get jobs in a breakdown economy um, doesn't provide them a whole lot of opportunity. And so it, it could become a very uh, a situation to be very concerned about. And so it's very, very important that each of you, you know, everyone touches people who touch more people, touch more people. Um, it's important that we spread the word. But there's going to be television advertising. And my understanding is that there's the signs. I, on my way home last night, I saw signs popping, popping up along Houghton Road as I was heading home to my house. And I know they were put there by volunteers who are working in, in at the parent group level within uh, some of the school districts. I want to take up the question of uh, the purpose of education again and uh, some of the questions about science and uh, technology. I agree with you that science and technology are extremely important. Where I disagree with you is that we have, uh, uh, is that we're lagging in that area. The United States spends more, uh, uh, a higher portion of its gross domestic product on research and development than our economic competitors, um, including academic research and development. When we're talking about academic R&D, most of that money comes from the federal government. Um, we're clearly leading the way when it comes to uh, the big science and high technology. Where we're not as successful is in providing access to education for a broad swath of society. Um, and part of that problem is to do with the cost of education, particularly university education. I know um, uh, the governor wants to retain, you know, contain those costs, and I think that's admirable, and I think she's done a reasonably good job of protecting higher education in these very difficult political and economic circumstances. 
Um, but I'd like you to speak a little bit about the internal distribution of resources at the university, which is normally not something that politicians get involved with universities are autonomous. But what we've seen is um, cuts uh, being concentrated most, uh, the largest share of the cuts have been concentrated in areas where instructional costs are at or around um, the price of the state tuition. And the areas that have received the smallest cuts are the areas that have the uh, largest uh, source of federal income and also have uh, very large um, instructional costs, much greater than the cost of the state tuition. Over time, if you grow those programs and shrink the lower cost programs, the structural costs of education are going to increase and it's going to be more and more expensive to come to the University of Arizona. Um, does the governor have a position that she articulates to individual university administrations or to the Board of Regents about internal distribution of funds and how to use uh, uh, budget cutting collectively to not only to contain costs? Okay, a lot in that. But let me let me start by saying, and I want to issue a disclaimer once again on, on some of the things that I said is my own opinion on education, those are mine and, and not necessarily the governor. Right. I haven't had a chance to fully uh, discuss all of this with her, but as far as, as the internal distribution of money in the university, uh, a lot of, I mean, I'll say that, that's really handled through the administration of the universities and the Board of Regents. Um, we historically, to my knowledge anyway, have not been, been heavily involved in that and providing direction to it. I do not know if the governor has provided individual direction to university uh, officials. My guess would be no, um, but I know that she's had a real uh, desire to make sure that, that what she has directed them to do to the Board of Regents level is to redesign a system to provide opportunities in the system that make, that, that open up for more access, for making sure that students know when they enter the university system that their tuition is going to be uh, a stable amount throughout their education. And these are things that the governor feels very passionately about, so that you'll be able to plan as a student, this is what's going to cost me, this is where I'm going. Um, as far as the technology and science stuff, like I said, those are my opinions, not necessarily the governor. Um, but I'll tell you that uh, my opinion has really been developed through conversations with with leaders around the community. That they're looking to fill jobs at uh, some of our military installations. I won't be specific about which ones, but there have been a uh, huge number of job openings for them to fill with people who have these degrees. And they, because of their and the security of what they do, they have to hire people who are born uh, as Americans, but they don't have the qualified applicants to fill those roles. And, and they large, fall largely in the engineering areas. And so uh, that's where a lot of my opinions come from, is I've had conversations with people about this, and they're looking to try and fill these positions. They're just, the, the population of people who have these jobs is aging, and the younger population coming in uh, is not necessarily uh, enough of them to fill the demand. I also agree with you that there is probably a shortage of, uh, of engineers at the, at the first degree level and maybe at the master's degree level who are U.S. citizens who can be hired for that type of position. Um, again, that requires keeping the cost of education down to expand access overall, and you need, frankly, you need the arts and humanities to collect those tuition dollars um, and to have engineering programs. And so, knocking, uh, you know, differential cuts. I'm, I'm using this as a soapbox a little bit, but differential cuts, per, in the long run, will hurt American higher education because it will send the structural costs up and up. And, and, 
and I would, and I'll, there's going to be other forums, I'm sure, or there have been, where, where you could probably get more specifics about the internal distribution of funds at the university, more appropriately addressed to those who, who make those decisions. But um, I, I guess from from my perspective, again, um, we have very strong arts programs, and I would argue that those things are very important. We to maintain them. You have to have that to, to have the you know the well-rounded society and individuals we want to have. Um, across the board. I mean, my own children are very heavily involved in, in arts. I was heavily involved in arts. I think those are things that help develop skills that develop leaders and and I know they develop uh, brain cognitive brain uh, development and things that help students excel in their education. So those are things I personally believe we need to, to hang on to. Um, and I was bringing up engineering science and math because I believe that's where we have a weakness at this time that we need to maintain. But across from that you know, any area where you can, students can achieve a degree and better themselves is going to make our state and our nation and our families all stronger. This will be our last question. Last question. Good questions, by the way. You guys are doing a great job. Back to the one-time solutions, you mentioned the leasing of state buildings and how that's um, closing the gap by $1 million and how it's Cost us three million dollars. Long term, yes. You mentioned her daughter. You know that she'll be 34 when she's paying it off. Um, what sort of solutions are are being considered so that your 34-year-old daughter is going to pay her taxes and what's going to you know, fix the structural problem, how do you move forward? I think debt reduction and payment at all more rapidly than that 20 years needs to be a component of that. And it's been talked about in our office. I know it's a priority for the governor. Uh, I know the legislature has talked about it some. But when you're, when you're looking at both, I mean, the way out of this problem is to rebuild the economy, get jobs here, develop jobs here, not just bringing jobs in, but we need to incubate jobs here and keep our people here earning good incomes, that's going to provide a stable tax base. And then also looking at the tax structure we have and finding a way to modernize it so that it is fair and reasonable for people, but still able to support what we need to provide as far as public safety and education and other services. Um, that has to be part of the discussion as we grow out of this thing. And so, Part of what's been done now, I believe, is an effort to stabilize, and as we stabilize, you plan, and then you implement that plan. And that's really, uh, I think, where we're at now, and I, I'm, I believe that the governor has laid an excellent foundation for us moving forward. She's made very difficult decisions. Uh, you know, and she says she has the railroad tracks on her front and her back to prove that, but I think it's also shown that she's had the courage to make those decisions. She's had to put forward things like the revenue increase, that most people would say, why on earth would you put forward something like that in an election year? Um, and she's also had to make cuts that people say, why would anyone ever cut those things? And, and it's not necessarily because she wanted to have to do either of those, but it's because it's what needs to be done to provide the stability to move us forward. And then that's why those decisions um, have been made. So with that, I will conclude. Thank you very much for having me.